You know, to be American is to be an individualist. To be a Texan is to be a rugged one and that. How's that? That is true, and there's a lot of good things that can be said about that, but there's so much more to life than that. In fact, when the very good book opens up, it opens up by talking about creation, and God said it is not good for someone to be alone. God's vision for his creation is a community. He has created a people. If you notice what happens right after uh, the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, where everything was scattered, what does God do? He calls Abraham, who became the father of faith, and he says, from your loins shall grow a people. They're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the, and the grain of sands on the beach. And the people grew forth. The people of God, Israel, grew, became all international, became the church. The God's people gathered around the throne of God, listening to the word of God, being defined by the presence of God. And we're going to read a text today that speaks to that very thing. If you have brought your Bibles, it's going to come up here if you have not. But it's always good to have a Bible you can write a little bit. Look here, chapter 1, verse 21 of the letter to the Philippians. One of Paul's favorite churches. We don't hear any kind of real negative remark here. He clearly loves this church. Just like we love ours, yes? There you go. Just one thing. Verse 27. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord or with one soul, if you will, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of the destruction for them, but it of of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer with him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. I want you to notice What's going on? I'm simply going to stay with this text and just walk us through that. This is a powerful text for a Sunday like this and indeed for every Sunday. First, it begins here by him highlighting how important this is. It is as if he is saying, hey, listen up, y'all. Had he been from Texas, that's how he would have said it, right? Listen up, y'all. Instead, he begins with that word mono. That's the first word in that text. One thing. The Greek word is mono. It is as if he's saying, stop listening to stereo, where we have a different thing coming into each ear. Put both ears at the same thing. And this is what you need to put both ears 
too. There you are. Listen here. You are to live in fellowship. Live a life as citizens in a manner that is worthy of the citizenship that you have received in the gospel. That's where we see this. In fact, this word that we, that we get here that they translate in this translation by live your life as citizens. That is the word where we get the word politics from. It is a together word. It's a fellowship word. It's a word about how you live in community. That's what that word is about. Live as citizens of the kingdom of God that is defined by the gospel about Jesus Christ. And you know, there's a direct parallel here that none of them would ever miss. You know, Philippi was a proud Roman colony. They had been so for less than a hundred years. In fact, it had been renewed not that many years before Paul wrote that. To be a Roman colony meant that you had the privileges of Roman citizens. You were a Roman citizen when you were there. And so that was not to be taken for granted. They knew exactly what he meant when he said, live lives that are worthy of that citizenship that expresses your love for that. If you have a love for your town and for your, your empire and for all that is going on with that, how much more should that not be the case when the citizenship we're talking about is not the one that is just earthly, but the one that belongs to God himself that is defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be citizen of your town, you may be citizen of the Roman Empire, but you're primarily a citizen of that alternative community that God has created in the midst of the fallen world where everything is different. Is that community that is defined by the gospel of Christ. Just look in your text. That's exactly what we have right there. Just as they were eager to do that. So what Paul is doing here, he is exhorting us to live in fellowship. To behave in such a way that is suitable and that is expressive of that very citizenship. There's something that we do in our relationship to other people because we are part of that fellowship. It's just how it works. There, there are simply ways that this works. They knew that. They are very different from other cities in the ancient world that were not a Roman colony. They were just a kind of a, a you know, a big city that has, did not have the privileges of Philippi. And so they got what he understood. It's the exact same word that Paul uses a little bit later uh, here uh, in, in this text. But you see it in, in uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chap- chapter 23, when he is gathered and called into the great council of Sanhedrin. And they are trying to charge him with all kinds of things. And he says... Even sternly, he looked right at me. He said, 
I have lived my life in a way that was worthy of the gospel or that was worthy of God. In other words, I have been a faithful citizen of God's people. So, he talks about this. And how does he find this? Stand firm. When this is under attack, stand firm. And how do you do that? He does that by highlighting unity of that church that he thought was the best of the churches that he has started. Stand firm and contend together for the faith. To stand firm, to contend together require unity. Just look, verse 27. And he talks about, defines that in various ways. He talks about it as one in spirit and one in soul and, and one in action that is contending together for the gospel. And we know that's not easy. It was not then. It is not now. In fact, sometimes it's easier to not be a Christian than to be a Christian because you're somewhat swimming against the stream of what's going on in the world. It's just how it is. The Christian community is an alternative community. That's why it's so important that we stay together and we see that togetherness. Also, those of you who are following from home, we want to welcome you in to this place of togetherness that you understand and see the power of what's going on here. This alternative community is a different in its vision from what's going on in other places, different in its purpose, different in its calling, different in its forgiveness, in its grace, different in the way it loves and in the way it understands togetherness. It is the gospel community defined by who Jesus is. Very powerful when you look here. Stand firm, and to do that, you have to have unity. And then he spells it out. Now, what is he talking about? First, he says, unity in the spirit. That's the beginning point. Unless there's a unity of spirit, all other kind of unity becomes trivial and indifferent. Doesn't matter much. It's the exact same thing Paul says in in chapter 4 when he somewhat repeats it. He says, stand firm in the Lord. The beginning point for all we do as a church, the beginning point for what each of us do as individual church members is found right here. It is a conviction that we are part of the same community, the same fellowship, a fellowship with spirit is determined by no one less than God Almighty himself. Now, we can get confused about this whole language of spirit. Sometimes we just make it just a purely religious term or, or some kind of theological, you know, back and forth about, you know, when you get the, get, uh, come to Christ, you get the spirit, and it, you know, like it was not a real thing. But, friends, this is at the point, and we get it, 
We understand intuitively that it is the Spirit that creates the relationship. We understand intuitively how that works, right? The atmosphere between people. We even use that language. We have it in the song that says we, there's a sweet, sweet Spirit in this place. And what? We know that it is the Spirit of the Lord, right? We, we understand that we get into a place and we, we can just say without any kind of Christian reference that here is a good spirit in this place. Or we get to another place and we say that's a bad spirit. We know that these things are connected, so to speak. That the spirit creates a good spirit. But here Paul is saying it's not just that God's spirit creates a, a good spirit, it creates a Spirit of unity. Where the Spirit reigns, that's the atmosphere that comes into being. And we know how that works, right? Even in a good family. We meet a really good family. Well, there's a good spirit so, to stay in that language. They can do all kinds of different things. We know that. But they don't do opposite things. There, there's a certain kind of a spirit that, that guides all the many things they do so ultimately it works in the same direction. And when we see places where that's not the case, when you go in and you feel it almost like immediately that there are tension and there's a bad spirit, it will not be long until you see that there's confusion. Here, Paul says, as a huge reminder that there might be that we have many things to do, right? Remember what he says right here in chapters where the, the spirit is the same. There are many gifts, but the spirit is the same. We are all in the same family, all baptized by one spirit into one body. Christ-centered, community-focused, mission-oriented, pretty much. The summary also what Jesus even said to the rich young ruler when he came. Tell me, what is the essence? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and mind, mind and strength. And your neighbors as yourself. But he goes on with a very intriguing word here. Not only does he talk about unity of spirit, he talks about a oneness also of the soul. In this book, uh, he may have owned a Honda, the guy who translated, I don't know. He's, he's talking about one accord. That was a dumb joke. <laughs> but the word here is zuke, the word from which we get psychology, one soul. And that word refers to the part of life where our emotion reside, where our understanding of life will reside. It points to the fact that, you know, of the things we points to the areas where we find meaning in life, so to speak. The very things we consider valuable for our lives. And scriptures are telling us today that the very prerequisite for standing firm, for contending together, is that we have a unity of soul. They all stood in the same struggle. They were all part of the same reality. They were all 
buffeted and pushed and shoved from all sides in that Philippian society. But stand together, Paul says, with the same focus. You know, it's likely that he had a sports illustration running in the back of his mind, the language that he's using kind of indicate that fellow athlete type word that he's using. And so what he's talking about is that, that when you're on this team, you're all in the same game. You're all running for the same goal. There are individuals running, but it's not about the individual running. It is what that individual adds to the team, so that the team may win, is not a whole lot different from, from a choir. You know, you sing not so that your voice may be heard, but so that your voice will add to the beautiful sound of the choir. Or an orchestra, it's not that your instrument will be, will be heard on its own, but so that it adds to the beauty of the music that comes from that orchestra. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, okay, you are to lead lives like that. A unity of suke, or of the mind, or the soul, the heart. And then he says, a unity of action. That word contending together is again a word that points to everybody will be part of that. It's a rare word, actually. It's only used right here in all of the New Testament and in the same letter in chapter 4, verse 3, when he talks about his co-workers that have to contended together with him for the faith, just like he's talking about them right here. What he's saying is, a Christian church is not a church where we have some doing the work and then a lot of other people being, being spectators. But it's a place where people contend together, striving for the exact same goal. Enough things are going on that are trying to take things down and confuse unity and, and, and we live in a world where, where that is the case and I'm going to come back to that just in a second and, and we'll round this up but that is exactly the situation he is talking about right here that unity of faith is to struggle or to contend together for the faith and if you look at that Sorry if I can do Can I do some grammar with you for a moment? I'm trying to not be professor-like. But, you know, let me just say it still, right? We know some grammatical structures are difficult quite to get, and they can be understood in two different ways, yes? Even if I say, for the love of God, what am I talking about? Am I talking about God's love for me or my love for God, right? It can be taken kind of both ways. And this is what is going on right here, too. And, and Paul may be exactly talking about that duality, using that language because he wants both sides to be understood of that. So we can't know if he meant, Hodgson meant to say one of these things, but I think it's likely he chose that so that we hear both sides 
of how that can be interpreted. On the one side, he's talking about the unity that is in the faith, that is contained by the content of the faith. There should be no doubt about the word of God being just that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is just that. That's the content of the faith. That's what we believe. believe. So contend together for that. But there's another way that is just as likely to read this, and that may be what he wants to do also, or maybe first, we, we don't quite know, but it's certainly right here. And it talks about a unity in the spread of the faith. In the distribution, in the evangelism, in the sharing of the faith, that there's a unity about what the purpose of church is all about, that we need to be God's messenger here, that we may take this whole region for Christ. That's what's going on here. May it be that we hear about you, whether I'm absent or I'm, I'm with you, that we hear about you, that you have contended together in this bread of that gospel, that life-changing faith that is defined by who Jesus Christ is. I need to round this up, don't I? What time is it? Yeah, we got a few minutes. Are you good? Sorry about that. I shouldn't say that, but I want us to hear this, not just with our brain cells, but in the heart. In a moment, we will pray together. And I hope that we will really take that to heart and not just make that some, yeah, whatever. But truly spend some time praying together. Paul goes on to talk about fear, being frightened. You know, in contrast to the word he's using, about standing firm, which refers to a soldier that would never flee his post no matter what goes on. This word for frightening carries with it the notion of a group of spooked horses that are running every which way because they got spooked. So let me say this, that fear comes from lack of a clear vision Lack of a clear commitment. It grows in the soil of uncertainty. And that is exactly what happened in the ancient Philippi. It happens here too. We are so bombarded with all kinds of ideas from all kinds of places that it's hard to not think that way. But Paul says, don't. Just like the old Philippi, and they were bombarded with all kinds of things going on. There were so many different religions. And they had all, were all freaking out about this Christian church. Where you have rich and poor, male and female, you know, slave owners and slaves. Everybody sitting together in the same spot. Jews and Gentiles. And they couldn't figure this out. So they started to see if they could spread doubt. These groups were strange and different from many of the other popular religions around. And many of those required much less work, internal work, 
from the members. And so they could sow some doubt in these Philippian Christians. They didn't really need the church. They could have their own stuff at home. Then there was an open table for them to go and tear down and sow doubt and change people. And Paul comes right into this and said, don't be frightened. Stand firm. There's a clear vision and a clear goal and a clear focus. And it comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, friends, brings the victory. Can we hear this? I think all of us know that. It runs through our souls, right? It's, it's not like there are those people there and those people there. It is right here. And it goes like that through our souls, yes? They're good. I want to do, Paul says. I find myself not doing. And the very things I would wish I did not do, I find myself doing. We all know that. It runs through our soul. We need the constant commitment and the constant presence of Almighty God and His Spirit. Yes? So I'm going to ask if we can stand for a moment. I've asked the deacons to, to come and, and, and also ladies to come and, and stand with some of these uh, stands where we have. I'd like for us to spend a little time. Come down one by one, two by two, three by two. Some of you may want to stand right where you are and just grab someone's hand. Let's spend some time in prayer. The Lord loves when he sees his people praying at church. I know we're not used to this. I know we're used to standing and looking at someone else's neck. But let's not do that, friends. Let's get out of the pew and go and find someone to pray with. Maybe in another pew, maybe right with some of these stands. Please come on. Wherever you are, go wherever you are. Let's spend some time praying.